Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones. Like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory or even the quality of a senior's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, we are going to cover how to better talk to an older parent or another older relative who is resisting your help or your attempts to discuss a worrisome situation. As you probably all know, it's extremely common for people to become worried about an older person or sometimes about an older couple. And so they bring up their concerns and they suggest changes, but often those conversations don't go very well. I've often heard people complain to me that their older parent doesn't want to listen, gets upset, is refusing all their children's helpful suggestions, and so forth. And so people feel very stuck and frustrated, and these situations can uh, last for quite a while and can create a lot of stress for families. But there are some approaches that you can take that tend to help. Now, these are difficult situations. There's no magic formula that resolves things quickly in most cases. But over the years, uh, I have found myself making certain suggestions to families over and over again, as I found that these often help the conversations improve. And so in this episode, I'm going to share four of these suggestions that I often make to families, because I found that it often helps the older person and their family members, usually younger family members, often adult children, but it often helps these families have more constructive conversations related to the family's concerns. Also, I do have a written article online about these four suggestions. It's on the website nextavenue.org, and so I'll post a link to that in the show notes if you need a written summary of these ideas. Now let's talk about these four things that you should keep in mind if you're planning to have these conversations or have been feeling stuck in these conversations. Suggestion number one. Number one is to consider the possibility of cognitive impairment. So in other words, is there a problem with brain function that is contributing to this resistance? And when I say a problem with brain function, that can be either temporary or reversible, could be due to a medication side effect, or it could be due to delirium, especially if the older person was recently hospitalized or another problem going on, or it could be a slow chronic problem that's been slowly getting worse, which might be more suggestive of a um, dementia such as Alzheimer's disease. Now, let me emphasize that you should never assume that your parents are in the wrong mind just because they're making health or safety or living decisions that you don't agree with. That said, especially when people have otherwise become changed enough that their family is worried about their ability to live in their homes or wherever they've been for a while, at that stage in people's lives, it is quite common for the brain to have become vulnerable or damaged. And so decreased brain function often is a factor when an older person is uh, refusing help or refusing to consider changes. And this basically can affect an older parent's insight and judgment, it can definitely affect how well they process logical arguments, 
It usually affects people's ability to understand the risks of certain actions or situations. It can, as we've discussed in uh, prior episodes on the podcast, it can sometimes make people quite paranoid, actually, and defensive. So this possibility of cognitive impairment is really important. And, uh, and I bring it up because I've seen a couple of things happen over and over again. So one is that a family is stuck on trying to discuss something with a parent who's refusing, and actually the parent has some cognitive impairment, which may well be dementia, and has not yet been evaluated or diagnosed. So at that point, instead of trying to convince them to accept more help at home or make whatever other changes the family thinks is necessary, it's really probably more important to redirect your efforts and try to find a way to get them medically evaluated. We've also talked in previous episodes about how that evaluation is really important. You don't want to just assume it's dementia because there often are other medical factors, which may be worsening the thinking. So always ask yourself uh, if the person hasn't had an evaluation or diagnosed, could this be kind of impairment? And especially if you've seen other signs that are worrisome, and I'll post a link in the show notes, there are eight behaviors that family caregivers or others can observe that are fairly highly correlated with developing dementia. It's things like repeating oneself, or having difficulty learning to program uh, or use new equipment like a microwave, and there are a couple others. You want to sort of observe those, and then um, and if you see any signs of those or anything else that seems changed about the way the person's memory and thinking is working, other than the fact that they're being very resistant to the idea of making changes or getting more help, then you want to get further evaluation. So I see that come up often that the person just hasn't had enough evaluation. And then the other situation that I see come up is that the person may have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or another dementia and the family knows it, but they still bring up these challenging conversations in a way that's asking the person to do a lot of information processing and decision making. And this is really a tricky situation, especially in early dementia, when it can be tough to determine whether a person currently has the ability to make a given decision. Because to make a decision, you have to be able to weigh the options and understand the risks and consequences and implications of the various options. And that can actually require a lot of mental processing power for complicated decisions. And often people who have mild dementia really struggle with these conversations about how they're doing and making changes to their lives because the information involved is complex. Plus, these conversations are emotionally loaded and stressful. So I feel it's fairly common for there to be people who are early in their dementia journey who uh, usually are fairly good still at making a lot of decisions for themselves, but I see them really struggle with these types of conversations. Because when people get stressed, and this is people of all types of cognitive ability, uh, when people are stressed, they tend to think less well. And we really see that in older adults who have mild dementia, that when they get stressed or anxious, their thinking abilities seem to dramatically drop down. So if your older parent or other older relative has been diagnosed with uh, mild dementia or any other kind of cognitive problem, you want to be very mindful of that. And if the conversation's not going well, you want to sort of step back and think, what's another way to approach this? Or even do we think that this older person has the ability, you know, the capacity to have this conversation and weigh this uh, decision 
Because if you're not sure, then you'll need to ask the doctors for help in determining this. Now, this does not mean you give up on talking to them. You always want to give people a chance to weigh in, even people who have a lot of cognitive impairment, so that you can hear about their feelings and their concerns and hear what's important to them and help them feel heard. And it's especially important to find out what the person's preferences are, because even when people can't make final decisions, they can, uh, as long as they can speak, and sometimes even when they can't speak, they're able to express preferences for what they like and don't like, and it's very important to take those into consideration. So these are some of the ways in which the cognitive impairment issue can be really important in these conversations. So to summarize what you can do if you've been feeling stuck, if your older parent hasn't been diagnosed or evaluated, but you realize that cognitive impairment might be a factor, focus on getting that impairment evaluated. You'll want to see what can be done to optimize your older parent's thinking before you move forward with challenging conversations. If your parent has been diagnosed with mild dementia or another condition affecting thinking, then remember that stressful conversations often make the thinking worse. So you may need to adjust your approach and expectations for conversations about their future or their living situation or any need for help. You might also need to get help assessing the older person's decision-making capacity or otherwise get professional help in managing a conversation about the living situation or the future. So now next suggestion, suggestion number two. The next thing that I highly recommend to people is you really want to make sure that you've heard and validated that older person's emotions. Now, when having a discussion or trying to persuade someone of something, people often do more talking than listening, and they often also try to use logical arguments. But this usually doesn't work, because often what people really need before they can consider another person's ideas about their own life is to feel heard and validated. This helps them feel more connected to the people they're talking to. And this is especially true when it comes to discussing issues that are emotionally loaded and issues that touch upon aspects of our identity, self-worth, and autonomy, all of which come up when we're concerned about older relatives, are especially likely to be emotionally loaded. So whether or not your parent might be cognitively impaired, it's crucial to remember this and to prioritize helping them feel heard and validated. In fact, if there is potential Alzheimer's, it can be even more important to do this validation because this will reduce stress and help the person's brain function better. So how can you actually do this? You basically need to use the techniques that relationship therapists often teach people who come in for counseling. You need to be curious about how the older person is feeling, and you need to invite them to tell you more, and you need to be non-judgmental. You can also try techniques such as active listening in which you listen attentively and then you tell the person what you heard and ask them if that sounds right. If you can afford it, consider a few sessions with a person trained to facilitate conversations with older adults, such as a geriatric social worker or an aging life care professional. Let me now move on to suggestion number three. Number three is to make an effort to review the older person's goals and then to talk about what trade-offs they might be willing to make. Now, as families and doctors, we often prioritize the goals of safety and longevity. So in other words, we want to prevent falls, injuries, illnesses, new medical problems, and catastrophes of any kind. And we also usually want to help people live as long as possible, and we strive to delay death 
whenever possible. But here's the thing. For most older adults, the goals of safety and longevity at some point are going to bump up and conflict with the goals of autonomy, independence, and quality of life. And so most conflicts that older adults have with their families end up revolving around this dilemma. Unfortunately, there's usually no easy answer to this question. Once an older person becomes more vulnerable in body or mind, you can't have perfect safety as well as perfect independence. And this is an issue that Dr. Atul Gawande explored in depth and really wonderfully in his bestseller, Being Mortal, which came out a year or two ago. So families and older adults end up needing to make trade-offs. Now, historically, families and doctors have not considered a lot of options and have not encouraged older adults to consider a lot of options. And collectively, we haven't really carefully considered the trade-offs that we are making when we make a big push for safety and protection. So we've often forced older adults to go along with prioritizing safety above everything else. So for instance, because we're so worried that an older person might fall at home and be seriously injured, we end up pressuring them into moving out and moving into a quote-unquote safer environment. The problem is that this sacrifices uh, quality of life and also the older person's feeling of autonomy. So there is a better way to approach this, which is to make an effort to discuss goals and priorities and then to brainstorm lots of options and identify the related trade-offs. Obviously, safety is really important, but you don't want to fall into the trap of assuming that it should always be your family's number one priority. Because when faced with a trade-off between safety and autonomy, many older adults will actually choose autonomy or will be willing to risk a certain amount of safety and chance of living longer in exchange for more autonomy and quality of life right now. This is especially true of people with dementia. And even though they may have lost the insight and judgment abilities needed to properly weigh the risks, their preference for independence is still really important when it comes to optimizing their quality of life. In fact, an approach called positive risk-taking is now being advocated as a way to create more dementia-friendly communities. And this positive risk-taking approach is relevant also to people who don't have dementia. It basically involves making carefully considered decisions about risk rather than reflexively trying to avoid anything that might lead to an injury or shorten lifespan. And it also involves recognizing that often the safer choice imposes a burden on people's quality of life. And so it's important to kind of weigh that trade-off carefully. If you'd like to learn more about positive risk-taking, I think it's a really interesting framework for thinking about how to best support people who are older and at risk for injury or safety issues. I'll post a link to a good article in the show notes. Now, there is one catch that comes up sometimes when you ask an older person about their goals which is that the person sometimes responds with a goal that seems unrealistic. So um, a common example might be for an older person to say that their goal is to stay at home without any help until the day they die. This is obviously very appealing, and some people are lucky enough to have their lives end this way, but it's not likely to be feasible for most older adults. So what do you do when that's the response? Um, here are some of the things that I do in response to the statement and that I think uh, can be a good way to respond. The first is to validate the underlying emotion or feeling. So when I hear something like this from a patient, I often say something like, uh, well, what I'm hearing is that it's really important for you to remain in your home 
uh, or that your home is really important to you and that you're really hoping you won't need to have people in the house helping you. So that way, you're sort of demonstrating that you heard them and you're recognizing some kind of emotion or feeling or priority in there that's important to the person. Next, you can basically acknowledge how wonderful this would be and validate the desire. Uh, so you can say something like, wouldn't that be wonderful? I really hope that, um, you know, I would love to see that happen for you. And then after doing this, it's generally easier to redirect the person to considering what their priorities would be under a more realistic scenario or asking them to express some priorities just in case their preferred option doesn't work out. I often tell people that we want to hope for the best. And so we talk about what's the best they're hoping for. And then we plan for the likely or quite possible. And I encourage them to do that too. So lastly about goals, a wonderful advantage of discussing goals with an older person is that later when you make suggestions related to their life or care, if you make those suggestions and frame them as a way to help people achieve a goal that they previously told you was important, they tend to be much more receptive to it. So for instance, you might make a proposed move sound more appealing if you point out that this will enable a person to live closer to family members and will make it easier for them to spend more quality time with them, assuming the person said that that was uh, something they were interested in, quality time with family. So to summarize how to implement this suggestion regarding goals, you basically want to be sure to ask your older parents or older relatives to discuss their goals and priorities regarding medical care and their living situation. You do need to make sure that there have been frank talks with the doctors beforehand to ensure that the older person understands their health problems and what kinds of declines or crises they should plan for. They need, they need accurate information in order to set goals and priorities that you can work with. You'll want to be sure to talk about the pros and cons of the available options, and you'll want to try to find out what kind of trade-offs your parents uh, or other older relatives might consider acceptable. So let's move on now to my fourth suggestion. The fourth suggestion is specifically for the family caregivers, adult children, or other people who are concerned. And that is, it's very important for you to distinguish what you need for yourself from what your parents need. And I say this because often we say, well, my older mom needs to move. She needs to do this. She needs to be safer. And really what the person is saying is, I need her to be safer. I need her to move. And that's because often we have, um, if we're adult children or if we're concerned about an older person, we have our own fears and concerns and desires that are driving our activity. And it's very easy to conflate uh, what we want or what we need with what we think the person, the other person should do. And it can be very helpful to untangle those actually and recognize what we need and want for ourselves. Some common underlying issues that might be driving what uh, adult children need or are concerned about, often people feel a need to minimize guilt or their concerns about feeling guilty. So they're worried that they aren't doing enough or haven't done enough to protect their parents' safety or well-being. Sometimes there's a fear of conflict with other siblings who uh, may object to how the older parents' uh, living situation is or the efforts that the closer sibling is doing. People often have a fear that their parent is going to decline further and require more help or that their parent is going to be unhappy. Many people have a desire to know that their older parent is happy and comfortable or is going to stay safe. We often want 
to sort of feel like the situation is more in control. Uh, we want to know what's going to happen next. And then I think in some cases, you know, people are partly driven by a fear that what's happening to their parents might eventually happen to them. So, I mean, people are people. And what people tend to do is they try to address uh, their needs by getting other people to change what they're doing. But again, the relationship therapist will say that that's generally never a good idea and that it's much better to recognize our needs and try to find other ways of acknowledging them and meeting them other than trying to get somebody else to do something which may or may not be the best fit for their needs and preferences and situation. So some specific ways to implement this. Uh, sometimes when families are stuck, I recommend to the adult children and other family members that they actually try to do some journaling and list their fears and frustrations and desires and goals regarding their parents' well-being and health. And that then they try, um, and this is why you want to also have had the conversation with the older parents about what are their goals and preferences and needs. Because in doing this, it becomes hopefully possible for those family members to see how their needs are kind of distinct from their parents' own fears and desires and needs. And that sometimes enables family members to uh, find other ways to address their fears and desires while respecting their parents' preferences or choices or whatever trade-off that their parent made or that perhaps they even made on behalf of their parent. So to just review my suggestions for families, basically, the four suggestions are, one, be sure you've considered the possibility of cognitive impairments and have thought about how you might modify your approach if there's any sign of cognitive impairment. Be sure to make an effort to hear and validate the older person's emotions and concerns. Don't try relying just on logic and uh, rational conversations because these are very emotional topics uh, for people. Be sure to ask the older parent or older person to talk about their goals and what's most important to them. And talk about what trade-offs they might be willing to make. Remember that safety and longevity may not be their top priority and think about how you might accommodate that preference or the trade-offs that they say they're willing to make. And then last but not least, be sure to think about distinguishing uh, your needs as an adult child or family caregiver from the needs of the older parent. Now, all of these things can be hard to do so have the conversations, but if you feel like you're getting stuck, consider getting some extra help with these conversations. Doctors who are trained in geriatrics or in palliative care often have a certain amount of experience in mediating difficult family conversations. And then some other doctors are quite comfortable and adept at it as well. But otherwise, the average doctor in primary care or specialist may not be able to assist, but you can always ask if they can assist or if they can refer you to a social worker or someone else who might be able to assist. Another option is to look for a professional mediator or a geriatric care manager who has a focus in therapy and mediating difficult uh, conversations. So all of this takes time and can take money if you get professionals to help you out. But I encourage people to think of it as an investment in the relationship and in actually developing a better process for having these, for navigating these challenging conversations and making an investment, in improving that process often pays off and can make 
future conversations and decisions go a little bit better. So I think it's worth doing. Because in the end, your older parents or the older person, they do need your help and involvement. And so even though these situations are often very frustrating, I encourage people not only to stick with it, but don't stay spinning in a rut, having the same unproductive conversations over and over again. If you're feeling very stuck, look for ways to get unstuck, and hopefully these suggestions will help. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. I do have an article related to this episode, and I will post a link to it in the show notes. And otherwise, if you have any questions about something you heard in the episode, you can post it on the show notes page. I'll also be posting some links to some of the other resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. If you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This does make it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. I'd love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.